Hi there! Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. Hearty congratulations to listener Louise, who correctly identified the source of the quote, Who is it? When I think about it, it's yet another one of those dark messaging things that we Gen Xers somehow managed to survive. I was reminded about a scene in Sesame Street, of all places, where they would show how many such and such a number is. So the song went five, 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 let's sing a song of five. How many is five? And then they would show you five parakeets or five bowling pins and five bouncing balls or whatever. And then every one of these segments would end with this chef standing at the top of a steep staircase holding a tray of, in this case, five cakes. And he would say, five strawberry tart desserts. And then he would proceed to fall down the stairs. Naturally, this was hilarious, and we would then imitate this behavior by falling down our own stairs. I wonder how many children wound up in hospital before Sesame Street cut that particular bit. Anyway, I survived that and the who is it scene relatively unscathed. Have you ever had this a, a, a snippet of melody going through your head and you can't figure out what it is? This might be another thing that's just me. Um, <laughs> so for probably years, there was this little snippet of music that would randomly pop into my head. And it, it goes like this. Dun, 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 ba, da, dun, dun, da, dun, dun. A couple of weeks ago, I found a recording of some music I hadn't listened to in ages. So I played it and lo and behold, there was that bit. And I was like, that was it. That's it. I love a revelation like that. So so this piece in particular is the Toccata from Fresh Air 3 by Mannheim Steamroller. So if you're of a mind, you could go find that and give it a listen. And then you'll get to that bit and you'll be like, that's the bit that she was talking about. There's a similar story like that about the theme music I use for this particular podcast. Maybe I'll share it with you someday. Not now, though. So, Derry is finally ready to talk to Kier, and Kian gave Corporal Gorder a task. Gatekeeper's Deception by Krista Wallace Chapter 32 If Only She Would Recover Valraker was perplexed when he did not find Kian on the practice field. He asked after him in the armory, but no one there had seen him. Val sauntered back through the service door on the cellar level and wound his way along corridors and up the stairs to the hall behind the kitchens. He peeked in to see Glynn chatting away with some other young people as they ate their lunch. No Kean, though. Where else would he go with his sword? A side door in front of him opened, one that connected this hallway with the foyer via a narrow passage, and Corporal Gorder joined him in the back hall. Corporal, Val trotted a couple of steps to reach her. She stopped. My lord? Have you seen Kian? Yes, she waved backward over her shoulder. I've just come from speaking to him. Now I must hurry on my errand. 
She bowed and started toward the door that led to, among other odd chambers, Quiven's rooms. "'Did he mention where he was going?' Val pressed. "'Yes, Rondo did not stop this time. He was going to find the one they call Kier. Business with her, I understand. Good day, my lord.' "'Business with Kier?' Val stared at the door as she shut it behind herself. "'And he needs his sword?' Val's finger tapped against his thigh, his thoughts racing. Turning abruptly, he went out the way the woman had come in. He charged up the main staircase. Harsh words were being flung at her, and she winced. Then she realized the voice was in her head. It was actually quite silent around her now, and Kier's fingertips felt something soft, like yarn or fur, though whatever was beneath it was firm. She heard rustling and urged her eyelids open. A blurry dairy knelt over her, holding an object before her still bleary eyes. "'Have you seen this before?' Kier blinked several times, coaxing her eyes into focus. She lay on her back, with something jammed underneath her, forcing her head into an awkward tilt. Golden color, she could tell that much. Round on one end, tapering down to a narrow handle by which dairy held it. When the fuzzy edges of the object hardened and she could see it clearly, she was struck by its familiarity. She said nothing but flipped through the files of her memory searching for a match. All of a sudden, the memory clicked into place. Alon's mirror. Yes, I have seen it before. Derry's face, which by now was as clear as the object he held, froze. His color drained and the air around her smelled hot and electric. She didn't understand the significance of the mirror. Why was it here in... Kier glanced around and surmised their location. Kian's study? Alan's chamber was just down the corridor. Why do you have it, Derry? What does it mean? He raised his arm with the swift motion of a swordsman, and she cringed, thinking he would hit her with it. A growling sound emitted from deep inside him, and he all but leapt to his feet. Why do I have it? he snapped. What does it mean? He stormed across the floor, the mirror still clutched in one hand. She watched him, an awkward thing to do with her head tilted back. He was on the return path now. How about where did I get it, Kier? He fumed, quieter, pointing the thing at her like a sword. How about why did I find it in your saddlebag? How about why don't I call Kian in here right now to let him know that the suspicions are true? His breaths came in short gasps, and he pushed himself into a nearby armchair. Kier was too stunned and confused to produce any sound. Why, Kier? How could you do it? And make such fools of us all? It'll break Fennel's heart. He defended you unfailingly. The ceiling of the chamber had captured his gaze, and from her vantage point, Kier couldn't see his face. But she was fairly certain a sob had escaped his throat. Derry, I... Her heart thudded against her ribcage. I don't know what to say. How about you start by being honest with me? Please, if it's for the first time in our short history, will you tell me something truthful? Stung, she clamped her mouth shut and thanked the gods he was looking away and couldn't see her biting her lip to dam up tears. Well, first, can we get this damn cushion or whatever it is out from under my back? It's bloody uncomfortable. He looked down at her then. I put it there to raise your heart above your head, because you fainted. The physicker in him could not be stifled. I'm awake now. He hesitated, staring at her, but reached a decision. He exhaled deeply and pushed himself off the chair to kneel next to her. 
Kier found that her eyes wanted to retract away from his. She let them. His hand was as gentle as ever beneath her back as he slid the cushion out. He then lifted her head the same way and slipped the cushion under, so when he lowered her head, it rested on the softness. Kier felt a twang in her heart. She didn't know why, but he was angrier with her than he had ever been, even after she killed Ronav, yet he still took care to make her comfortable. Terry Morant, she thought to herself, you're the most gentlemanly man I... She swallowed hard. All she'd said to hurt him the night they parted was nothing compared to whatever was on his mind at this moment. His friendship now was so distant as to be beyond her sight. He sat back in the armchair. Derry, she only managed to whisper, Alon's mirror, I don't know what you're talking about. His glare pierced straight into her heart. His voice was frost. Try again. Frustration, self-loathing, self-rebuking bubbled within her and crawled along her skin. What do you want to hear? He slapped his hand on the arm of the chair. Just say it, Kier. The mirror was in your saddlebag. I don't like it, but there it is. I asked for evidence, and you had it with your belongings all the time. I don't know what you're talking about, Kier screamed at him through gritted teeth. He looked startled. Evidence of what? Derry faced her head on. That you tried to kill Alon Mare. Kier's supine form turned to ice. What? No, that was a chambermaid. Derry continued. Nice try. How would you know that even if it were true? You gave her the necklace. Everyone knows it. We've just been waiting for more evidence. And I found it in your saddlebag. Alon's mirror, which you could not have unless you had stolen it from her chamber when you gave her the serpent. It explains why it was so important for you to come on this mission, though you pretended not to know her. We know you've been here before, in spite of your claims to the contrary, because you gated us here, and every wizard in Rydras knows you cannot gate to an unknown location. There. Is that clear enough for you? It was Kier's turn to stare at the ceiling. The patterns hammered into the tin would have fascinated her on any other day. Thoughts, images, memories of conversations, with Derry, with Fennel, with Val, all tumbled through her mind like rocks on a cliffside. They rolled, bounced, cascaded, and each one pelted her. They dragged her with them, spinning, jouncing, so she couldn't see them clearly. They were a jumbled mass, and when Kier and her thoughts landed at the bottom, she rolled onto her left side and pushed herself up with her immobilized left hand. Feeling dizzy and dusty, her chest heaving with breaths, she sat slumped on the rug in Kian Barthelon's study and poked about for the thought that would tell her what to say. And when am I supposed to have done this? I've been with you for weeks. I have no idea where you were before we met in Wanaka, he said coldly. "'What can I do?' she panted. "'Give me something I can swear on that will make you believe me.' She met his gaze with imploring eyes. "'I swear on—on anything. I won't say my honor, because clearly you don't think much of that right now. On my sword, on my life, on anything you want. I didn't give Alon Mare that necklace.' She knew it was a chambermaid called Misha, but why would he believe that?' Derry's expression did not alter. She had not impressed him. "'What, then?' she shrugged helplessly. "'What can I say to make you believe me?' "'But who was Misha?' She racked her brain, feeling certain she ought to know. Until she answered that question, she would never convince him. 
He drummed his fingers on the chair's arms and pouted. You can start by giving me some explanations. She sighed and turned away. How? How can I give explanations for things I don't understand myself? She ran the tips of her fingers through the soft, dark green and gold pile of the rug. I don't know anything about gating. I don't know what the rules are. If I can gate, it's as much of a surprise to me as it is to you. Maybe it has something to do with my medallion. I can't explain it any better than that. You want me to tell you how I got Fennel and me out of the cavern? Well, I guess I gated us out. Naturally, not understanding what the hell had just happened, I was a little reluctant to explain myself at the time. I think you also asked about the rune pattern. That's simple enough. When I went back into the camp to get some food, I overheard a conversation between Gilvray and someone else. He told the fellow all about the rune pattern, and I actually saw where he kept it. I wanted to tell you when I got back to camp, but you said something that pissed me off, so I didn't feel like it. I devised my own plan and figured you wouldn't let me do it if I shared it with you anyway, so I just went and did it. Kier's voice had become hoarse throughout her story. Some of her words sounded stupid to her ears. She still didn't look at Derry. It was childish of me. I, I didn't realize that until later, after we'd argued and I was left to my own thoughts for a while. I was childish about a lot of things. Her head felt as heavy as a saddlebag full of potatoes, but she forced it up so she could finally meet the eyes of her captain. Her lower lip trembled. I'm sorry, Derry. I don't know how things went so wrong. I should have... She shook her head and struggled to hold back sobs. I should have at least told you that there were things going on that I couldn't explain. I shouldn't have just brushed you off all the time. I'm sorry, Derry. His blue eyes were ringed with pink, but they met hers for a moment before he rubbed them with his fingers. Some of the things you said that night were like daggers in my chest. Kier's heart sank even lower. She had known she'd hurt him. I had to admit, after I'd had some time to think, you were right about a few things. I had not behaved as a good captain should. I also know I said some awful words to you, too, and for that, I, too, am sorry. In their brief glance, Kier felt a breath of warmth. Had they narrowed the gap even a tiny bit? I would still like an explanation for the mirror, not to mention for the fact that you know the layout of this castle like someone who has spent a good deal of time here. The hard edge had slipped back into his tone. Kier scrunched her eyes shut. When she opened them again, he was still waiting. Not the whole castle, Derry, just the way to Alon's chamber. I don't know where the kitchens are or the guest quarters. She'd surprised herself she hadn't thought before about the limitations of her knowledge, and all she knew she had learned in a dream. I have one question for you. He gestured to indicate she should pose it. Do you want to believe that I tried to kill Alon? He looked taken aback and hesitated before answering. A tiny crease opened between his brows. He slowly shook his head and whispered, No. Then don't. A clamor in the corridor broke their connection, and both heads snapped toward the door as it was flung open. Rondo waited patiently while Quiven finished preparing the spell. To create a gate was tricky enough. To create another one after an hour and hold it open so a non-wizard could pass back through it must be quite a feat. All right. Quiven pressed his hands together and exhaled fully. <sighs> Is it ready? Rondo asked. I can only send you to the edge of the village. 
the mage said. I cannot create a gate to within it, but I can get you as close as I have been. You will have a bit of a walk. Rondo watched Skellen nod in understanding. Valraker's mage had been speaking with Quiven when Rondo arrived with Lord Kean's order, and he had asked to stay and watch. I'm very interested in the gating spell just now, he'd said. Now he rose to join hands with Quiven, offering as much of his own energy as he could spare for the spell. So it's true that a gate cannot be opened to a place the wizard has never been? It's true, Quiven replied, placing his spell scroll on the table before him. As castle mage, one of my duties was to travel the length and breadth of Heath. I did not cover the entire map, but certainly came within a useful vicinity of most places. Took me two years, but there's no point in being able to open a gate if you can only go between two or three locations. There is one exception, and that is if the wizard has created a locator. Any object can be turned into a locator, and a gate can be opened to within a certain radius of it, no matter where it has been taken." He raised his hands above his head, slowly lowered them, and pressed his palms together, eyes closed. Corporal Gorder recognized a relaxation and focusing exercise when she saw one. "'I will reopen it in one hour and hold it for ten minutes if you aren't there. You will have no more than that, Rondo,' Quiven warned. "'I would not be able to do it at all without Jeskellen's help.' Hurry with your errand and return. If you do not arrive before we must close the gate, well, you will have to find your own way home. I hope you have money for a horse, Jeskellen smiled. Corporal Gorder shrugged, adjusted her sword at her hip, and nodded to Quiven. A moment later, an archway of quivering air opened before her. Beyond it lay a picturesque valley by a stream in the foothills of a mountain. Stretches of grasses and farmland aligned the stream. A dirt road led down a hill out of the gate, at the far end of which she could see a little bridge and a cluster of low buildings. The road was dotted with puddles and rivulets, and a splash of water tucked on Rondo's boot. She drew her hood up and stepped through the gate into the rain of Hrath. Halidan, she repeated to herself for the umpteenth time. You will bring me my knighthood. She hurried along the road. Kian slowly pushed open the door to Alon's chamber. Alon lay still, and as Kian approached, he could hear that the raspiness of her breathing had eased. Roman sensed his need and rose from her work, gliding away to tend to something on the other side of the room. Sitting on the edge of the bed, he placed his warm right hand on Alon's cool brow. He caressed her dark hair. He bent down and kissed her soft lips, the taste of lip balm sweet on his tongue. With his left hand, he drew a gentle line down the side of her neck where a glittering gold chain had lain. He traced a small, loving circle in the spot below her throat where the blue serpent had been allowed for months to secrete its spell. Kian felt his jaw tighten and his brow contract. Step one had been taken. His hand ran down Alon's body to her abdomen, still tenaciously swollen with, "'It had better be another life.' Kian felt the invigorating surge of rage warm his blood. I will avenge you both, he vowed. Kian stormed to the door. My lord, Kian heard Roman's alarmed voice, but nothing was so urgent as his next task. The door flew open beneath his hand. He charged down the corridor, half blind, and careened into another body. Where is she? he roared. That depends, said Val, his hands on Kian's chest. Why do you want her? 
Kean's face burned and he glared at Valraker. Get out of my way! Your little prodigy is finished! He pushed by, peering into the library as he passed. Nobody. Aha! He saw the next door on the left and knew where he'd find her. The door slammed into the wall and the door handle shattered, bits of glass tinkling to the stone floor. Kian Barthelon, a quivering giant, took an instant to locate her in the room. Kier's eyes locked with his and he smiled. She gasped, cringing in spite of herself. She felt as if she were trapped in the cavern again, nearly drowning in the hot pool. The huge elf's sword appeared in his hand from overhead. It was pointed at her as he stepped forward. Kian! Valraker's voice cried as he flew in from the corridor. Kian didn't flinch. Two lives for a life, he said. Yours is last. Pray now. Suddenly, Derry's body blocked her view. Not quite a foot shorter than Kian, he made a decent shield. If you think you can strike her down without a struggle, you are mistaken, Captain Morant said, quiet as falling snow. Kier struggled to her unsteady foot and swayed until she could place her hand on the wall. Kian's sword followed her movement. You killed my wife and child. Kier's head swam. No, I didn't. I just finished- Captain Morant, step aside if you have any honor in you. Derry didn't budge. You accuse her falsely. You'll have to go through me. Kian snorted. Fine, that will make three out of the four she owes. Fear for her life was a powerful motivator, but it also twisted her thoughts into an inaccessible mass. Kier's life depended on the answer she could not think of. Valraker did not touch Kian's sword, but pillared himself next to it. Kian, he growled, there will be no lives forfeited just yet. Too late, Kian snarled. My lands, my justice. On what grounds, Derry demanded. Kier tried to control her breathing. Kian reached into his jerkin and whipped out a folded piece of paper. Val took it and glanced over it. Kier watched the light in his eyes dim, then brighten again with a cold glow. This is an anonymous letter, he said. You would take her life for an anonymous letter? Kier desperately tried to find the thread within the mass of memory. There was a connection somewhere. A chambermaid called Misha and who? And why not? Kian snapped. She took two lives for just as little reason. He took another step forward, and Derry stepped to the side to block him. Prove it, Kier blurted, and fervently hoped she wouldn't regret it. I don't need proof, hell whore. I asked for a name, and I've got one. Kier wondered how Kian could hold that great sword so steadily for so long with one hand. Kian glared at Derry and looked about ready to slice his head off. She flipped through her mind and grasped some details. Someone who could gate. Someone who could pass herself off as a chambermaid. Kier pictured the face in the mirror. Someone who might have accidentally shared her memories with Kier through physical contact. You've got the wrong one, she plowed on. I know who did it. Derry turned to her, astonished. Kian took that moment to swing. Derry ducked and pulled Kier down with him. She screamed with pain. The clang of steel deafened them in the tiny chamber, and Valraker stood there, feet apart, two hands gripping his sword, which had blocked Kian's and held it horizontal. Alon, he said loudly, is not dead. Kier lay on the floor, trembling, Derry's arm across her, and watched the truth dawn in Kian's eyes. 
Kier's gaze met Derry's, and they spoke at the same time. Misha. Sandra Flack shook out her dust rag over the railing of the shop's front porch. The rain was the first trath had seen in three weeks, and it was welcome. She could not tell the hour, but she was certain the sun was well over to the west of center, and her heart quickened. It had been ten days since the last visit, just the same number as had passed between it and the one before. It wasn't too much wishful thinking to expect a visit this afternoon. Sandra took an involuntary glance down the road. "'As if I can see anyone coming from here,' she teased herself. "'The main road from Fry was two blocks away. "'You're as bad as a schoolgirl.' "'Stepping back through the front door, "'open to allow admittance to the fresh northwesterly breeze, "'she gazed around her store with pride. "'Not even the most scrutinizing eye "'could have found a speck of dust on those shelves, "'and the echo of hollowness was not nearly so musical.' Tell, the dispatch rider from Drakenmoor, had been true to his word. Folks from that city, as well as Fry and several other towns and nearby villages, had been generous in their help. A barrel of pickles here, a crate full of clothing, both adult and children's sizes, there. Crackers, thread, tools. Even the sugar Jessica had been after for weeks. Still not as well stocked as she used to be, at least Sandra could provide Hrath's people with the basics. And most of the goods Sandra didn't even bother charging for. They'd been donated and it wouldn't have been right for her to profit by it. Her shop had become somewhat of a gathering place to sort the items and make sure they were distributed evenly according to need. Bianca's, Magistrate Ardra's, plans were coming together. Tell proved to be an invaluable ally, for who would question a dispatch rider traveling frequently from town to town? And if he carried small quantities of a green gem and sold them to any one of the many buyers in Drakenmoor or Heatha, the largest city in Rydris, who would pay attention? Hrath had now started purchasing building materials and restoring its devastated farming industry. Sandra hung the rag up in the cupboard and wiped her smooth hands on her apron. Not all that long ago, a few weeks, she'd bemoaned her lack of salve, but her homemade one worked just as well. And she was glad, too, because Tell loved the feel of her soft hands on his body. His supervisor had given over the northwest route entirely to Tell so he could frequent Sandra's little village regularly. Even Tarkin had commented on the change in his mother's well-being since Tell had entered her life. Sandra smiled to herself, picked up her little pry bar, and knelt down next to a crate. With a groan and a squeak, the lid lifted off. The contents practically exploded out of it, and Sandra laughed aloud. Wool! Bundle upon bundle of wool, directly from the sheep. It wasn't yet washed or carded or dyed. Della Halladin will love this. Sandra breathed in the lanolin smell, extra heavy from having been boxed up for so many days. I'll go and tell her it's here, Sandra decided. She rose and headed round the counter, gasping when a shadow appeared on the floor in front of her. A woman stood in the doorway, short dark hair, light brown skin, wearing the dark green and grey uniform of Barthelon Castle. The sword at her hip was concealed, but it was long enough for the tip of its sheath to show out the bottom of the cloak. Sandra recovered herself. Good day. You startled me. How can I help you? "'I am Corporal Rondo Gorder from Barthelon Castle,' replied the soldier. "'I'm looking for the Halladin family.' Sandra's hand moved to her middle, and she realized her heart had sped up again. "'What? Is there a problem? It's Kier, isn't it?' The corporal nodded. "'I'm not privileged with all the information, but I have a message for the Halladins directly from Lord Kean. 
Sandra forced herself to breathe. I was just headed over to see them myself. I'll take you. She fetched her cloak and swung it over her shoulders. The corporal stood aside to let Sandra lead the way. Sandra shuddered involuntarily as she passed the swordswoman. I don't like the sound of this at all. Slowly and deliberately, Sandra closed the shop door and locked it. Then she led the corporal down the road to the Halliden's farm. Corporal Gorder kept her eyes to the front. She was here on business, not a sightseeing tour. She couldn't fail to notice, as her companion led her north on the puddle-dotted dirt road, that virtually all the buildings in this village had either been rebuilt recently or were under reconstruction. The boards had not even had time to weather, and there were patches of burn-stained ground on the road, piles of burnt timber. Two men were hunting for bits they could salvage from a pile of broken and scorched pieces of tools, hunks of iron that used to be someone's stove, and half-melted pieces of tin in odd shapes that might have been a lamp sconce or a wash basin. She saw similar heaps of rubbish elsewhere. The rain made tinging sounds on the metal. Were our troopers helpful when they were here? She finally recollected the service they had been asked to provide. Oh, yes, sir, answered the shopkeeper. Rondo nodded. I'll see to it that more are sent when I get back to Barthelen Castle. The shopkeeper, who was not short by human standards, had to look up at Rondo as she walked. I half hoped that's why you were here, the woman said, to oversee what they had done and to determine what else we need. Rondo felt the hint of a pang inside. I'm not here to spend time checking over their work today. But then, to say something hopeful, she added, I've seen enough to recommend that we send more aid. Thank you, Corporal. Rondo said nothing. A good deed to make up for what I'm about to do. She couldn't simply walk up to these Halidans and behead them. What if they weren't together? She'd have to send the shopkeeper away before carrying out her orders. These Halidans, she said. They all right, folks? She stepped nimbly over a deep-looking puddle. Well, yes, the woman said. Good people, hard workers, responsible members of the community. She sounded as if she were pleading their case without knowing their fate had already been decided. Young Kier is their adopted daughter, you know. They always did right by her, even if the other townsfolk didn't care much for her. She's... she's not in trouble, is she? Rondo sensed rather than saw the sidelong glance. I am not at liberty to share any information with anyone but the Hallitons. Yes, of course, it's only that... Well, I was always rather fond of the girl. Not many were. My son and she... Well, it wasn't to be. The shopkeeper stopped walking and gestured with her arm. There's their farm. They raise corn and sheep and hens. I was coming to tell Della about the shipment of wool. She's the best in the village at turning raw wool into something. Corporal Gorder gaped at the flat, desolate remains of a farm. Something jolted inside her. What is Lord Gian thinking? The farm had been razed to the ground. A new house was being erected next to the charred remains of the original, but it was not yet complete. A few stubborn stalks of corn had uncurled themselves out of the wreckage, but they'd been flattened so early in the growing season that even to a soldier's eye their productivity was questionable. They'd never grow in time to sprout ears. Dragor's men destroyed everything they had, save those few animals there the woman went on, hands in her apron pockets. A crude fence penned a dozen or so sheep and a few hens, most of whom were huddled under a shelter at one end. The Halidans took the brunt of the attack, really. She stepped forward, calling, Della! Gareth! The place felt deserted. 
I'm sure you're in a hurry, so I apologize for taking your time, but I thought they might still be here. Building, I mean. I should have known, what with the rain. They aren't living here yet, she explained, turning around and leading Rondeau back the way they'd come. After the attack, they went to stay with friends down in Clinton for a spell. They didn't get started rebuilding as soon as everyone else, and people seem rather reluctant to help them, I'm afraid. What is the matter with these people? Rondo thought, staring down the road before her. Why would they not help them? I suppose, carried on the shopkeeper, as if reading her mind, they're worried that Dregor will return, and if they help the Haladins, Dregor might lump them all together. I don't know. Where are they living at the moment? With a friend in town, just up the road from my store. I am sorry, I ought to have tried there first, I guess. Rondo held up a hand. This is no trouble she said politely, though she glanced upward and cursed that the heavy cloud cover prevented an accurate assessment of the time. She guessed that she'd used about twenty of her precious sixty minutes in walking from the gate to the village and up and down the north-south road. Besides, the storekeeper was clearly a kindly woman who was fond of the Halidans. She need not witness the upcoming event. "'If you could just direct me to the house where they are staying, I will attend them myself. You need not accompany me.' "'Very well. I should get back to the store anyhow.' My message to Della can wait. She directed the corporal west on the road that ran along the front of her store. Up here to that corner, turn left, then right at the stand of Cottonwoods. Brendow's cottage is on the left. You can't miss it. Corporal Gorder thanked her and swiftly employed her long soldier's stride to carry her to her destination. The deed must be done quickly if she were to return to the gate in time. Lord Kean would be hard-pressed to offer her a knighthood if she didn't return for a week. It took her only a few moments to reach the trees in question. She went along the road only a few paces before stopping. She scratched her head and looked up and down the road. There was no cottage. Tall grasses and wildflowers bent and swayed with the lightening rainfall and breeze, their soft scents fresh in Rondo's nose, the only evidence that she was still alive and had not lost her mind. You can't miss it, that woman had said. She seemed like such a together person. Did she suspect something and was purposefully preventing Rondo from undertaking her orders? Rondo whirled around and stormed back to the general store. I do not have time for this. Another ten minutes had passed by the time she arrived back at the store. I'm going to be stuck here, she grumbled. Not carrying out Kean's orders in favor of returning home was not an option. Kean Barthelon was never phased by the jolt of a solid block, but this time the vibrations shinnied up his arm like a tenacious child climbing a cherry tree. For some reason, this was different. The shock of making contact with another weapon, not with his target, and that weapon belonging to Valraker. Kean stared at his friend. Alon is not dead. The words echoed in Kean's head, reverberating with the clang of Valraker's sword— and suddenly Kean picked up on tiny details that had somehow eluded him. Alon's forehead, when he'd rested his palm on it, was cool, not feverish. Her lips, when he'd kissed them, were soft. Not supple, not yet, but neither were they cracked and bleeding with the dryness of illness. Her sleep was restful, the creases of strain and suffering had smoothed over. Her breaths were quiet, easy, evenly spaced. Alon was not dead. Kean nearly collided in the doorway with Fennel. My lord, she's asking for you. Frederick dipped his hands in the trough and rubbed his face. Then he used the dampness to smooth down his hair as best he could without a looking glass. 
He tucked the long sides behind his ears and straightened the waistcoat he'd borrowed from the groom. He felt grubby as hell, his attire hardly appropriate for the conference he was about to hold, but maybe it would buy him some sympathy. He felt sure of his timing. By now, Kean would have found his note. With Alon still incapacitated, Kean would still be in quite a state. The Duke's fury would now be properly focused on Kier, so Frederick's story would be well received. Frederick allowed himself an anticipatory smile. Back to my old life. And it was Kier Halladin who'd get a taste of banishment and disgrace. Heart leaping, he headed up the path toward the keep. That woman, Kier said, finally connecting the two faces. She was killing you. Kier blinked rapidly. Tears would be decidedly inappropriate right now. That's Misha? Derry asked. Kier nodded. She's the one, Derry, not me. Derry sat up and helped Kier out of the position he'd knocked her into to avoid Kian's blade. But I don't understand. How do you know? Kier shook her head. The woman had been with Frederick when she met him by the lake. The jolt she felt when the woman touched her forehead, that, Kier was sure, was when the dreams had begun. I saw her in my dreams. I kept dreaming about the corridor and the box with the necklace in it and giving it to Alon. I don't know why, so don't ask me. That night, when I slept in the Indian caves, I had one more dream. I picked up Alon's mirror and looked in it. It wasn't my face, dearie. It was hers. That's where I'd seen the mirror, and that's why I know she tried to kill Alon Mare. And when I saw her strangling you, she looked only vaguely familiar. Wrong clothes, no hat, wrong place. So I couldn't turn them into the same person right away. Derry's eyes were wide with wonder or disbelief. If only Alon would recover, we could ask her if she recognizes you. You don't believe me. He raised a hand. No, quite the contrary. But if she doesn't recognize you, he shrugged, then you didn't do it. Kier smiled, relief and gratitude flooding through her. If only she would recover. She looked up. Their conversation had been so intense that Kier and Derry had blocked out the activity in the room. Val and Kian were gone. There's a scene in Pride and Prejudice where Elizabeth is playing the pianoforte in Lady Catherine de Bourgh's drawing room at Rosings. Mr. Darcy is chatting with her and he says how he isn't good at making small talk. And Lizzie says that she knows she could probably play the pianoforte better than she does if only she practiced more. She owns the fact that she is not playing to her full potential. She does not tell us how much she envies some other young lady who is more accomplished on the instrument. This was summed up really well in a meme I saw on Twitter the other day. It was a quote from Tim Fargo, who I guess is a motivational speaker. But here's the meme. It says, Don't envy what people have emulate what they did to have it. And I love this quote. It really rang true for me because it is something that I finally began to learn in recent years. 
I picked up some bad habits in my youth, you know, being critical of others as they celebrate a success in their life, kind of envying them because it wasn't me, and focusing on the wrong things rather than finding joy in their success. But then I eliminated some negative influences from my life and I've turned that around and it makes me a happier person. Much as I am a fantasy fan, no success comes by magic. Thank you so much to my family, Matt, David, Heather, and Maggie, for helping me with all my many projects and helping me feel successful. Thanks, David and Sharon. Big howdy to the original six, and thanks so much to you for listening. Now, go be fantastic.